Welcome everyone to the Australian Bitcoin podcast. I'm Justin, your host, and today I'm joined by Pierce from MineRacks.com to discuss his Bitcoin journey and MineRacks, which is a Brisbane-based Bitcoin mining hosting facility. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. The Australian Bitcoin podcast is brought to you by hardblock.com.au, Australia's first and oldest Bitcoin-only exchange. Hardblock aims to help their users save in hard money and to become self-sovereign Bitcoiners. Hardblock has no added fees on deposit, buy, or sell transactions. So the prices are what you see or what you get. Hardblock's Bitcoin withdrawal fees are also among the cheapest in Australia, including a very low 99 sat Bitcoin withdrawal cost when using their new auto-send feature. Check out Hardblock today. All right, Pierce, how's it going? Pretty good. We're in a wet, wintry day in Brisbane, which is a bit of an exception for us. Uh, not great beach weather, but great mining weather. That's good. That's perfect, isn't it? Uh, a bit colder temperatures. Yeah. The miners like that, don't they? That's right. And so I mentioned at the top of the show that you run uh, MineRacks.com, which is a, uh, a Bitcoin and, and crypto Brisbane-based hosted mining facility. And we'll talk about that as we get into the uh, the podcast in a bit more detail. Um, having said that, is, is there anything that you wanted to mention even just briefly about MineRacks now in terms of, you know, kind of introducing what sort of services there are or how long it's been going for? And then we might jump into your, uh, your personal Bitcoin story and even work our way back around to MineRacks in more detail. Sure. So, I mean, like every every business that I think that is, uh, yeah, hits its niche, uh, it starts out of frustration uh, from a lack of what you wanted to see in the market. Um, in my case, uh, I think there were three frustrations um, that uh, I immediately felt as someone at even considering mining in Australia. First, the first pain point that I see is that uh, it's kind of impossible to know that mining is even profitable in Australia. Uh, most people, I think, that start uh, along their Bitcoin journey and start learning a little bit about mining think that the only way to be a successful miner is to live in texas and have a gigantic shed um full of <laughs> yeah three, three cent kilo per kilowatt hour power um and and gazillions of racks well uh yeah the one of the things that, that shook me after i went to a bitcoin meetup uh was i met someone who was uh mining quite successfully with uh, a couple of gpu rigs um and that person was able to show me you know, the kind of uh, income they were generating just from their phone um, on their nice hash account. Um, and that was an absolute revelation to me. I, I had no idea um, that you could turn on a computer <laughs> and have it generate uh, a magical internet <laughs> currency called Bitcoin. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been knocking around computers for 30 years. So this was uh, yeah, quite an eye opener for me. So step, step one was even uh, believing or understanding or knowing that it's possible to, to be a successful and profitable miner uh, here in the Australian context with all of the, the power challenges that we have, and especially the electricity prices that we have. And then the second uh, biggest problem uh, or next pain point that you inevitably encounter is when you try and actually buy a mine. <laughs> when you try and buy your first S19 or, or in fact, any mine that, that makes any logical sense to, to operate in Australia, um, generally speaking, the experience is extremely sketchy, um, would probably be the best way to put it. Uh, you're, you're up for, uh, yeah, there's plenty of websites out there that, that advertise uh, yeah, mines at, at, at rates that, that seem too good to be true or seem ridiculously expensive. Uh, 
And if you go through the process of trying to buy from, from one of these mines, basically every nerve in your body starts tingling and you start feeling you know, creepy vibes as you go to some of these websites. Um, and you hear enormous amounts of horror stories if you do due diligence on people that send money and never receive miners uh, or send money and receive uh, miners that, that aren't all that's represented. Um, and so the whole process of buying a mine just feels like yeah, there, there is no, uh, uh, I guess, uh, user-friendly way and, and safe way of acquiring one. Or if, it, if there is a safe way, it tends to be with such a high margin um, built into uh, the, the price of the mine that yeah, you spend the first six months just trying to get back that margin uh, that, that you've provided to a retailer. Um, and then I guess the third problem is once you've physically got hold of one of these mines and you've figured out how they work and, and you know how to configure one and, and point it at your wallet, um, you suddenly realize that, uh, gee, this is like having a jet engine in your living room. And it's a, it's a really awful, obnoxious experience <laughs> to be sitting, standing next to one of these things um, or, or to have them in your home. Um, and uh, I quickly figured out uh, after acquiring a, a few of these that uh, uh, there was no way I would continue to live in matrimonial bliss um, and have one of these things simultaneously at my home. Um, and I guess I figured out that maybe there were a whole bunch of other people just like me who uh, were frustrated by that journey and, and those three pain points. Um, and I decided uh, to do something about it um, and to make that journey as smooth as I could uh, for people that are wanting to explore mining for the first time uh, in Australia. Uh, I didn't like the idea of uh, cloud mining, as I'd read about uh, all sorts of uh, overseas rug pulls. Mm. Uh, and it uh, sort of started me down the journey of trying to understand how uh, mining really works um, and uh, you know, what it takes to, to build a successful mining business here in Australia. Yeah, you've done something that, uh, look, I don't think um, I can see an alternative at the moment in terms of a competitor or someone else is doing something similar. If they are, they're probably on a much smaller scale uh, or not as uh, prominent, I guess, in the community because you're very prominent in uh, like the Australian Bitcoin mining community on Telegram and and that kind of thing. And what you've just pointed out, yeah, those three issues of um, not knowing whether it's even profitable to do it in Australia, uh, getting the hardware in the first place, and then, uh, yeah, living with it. Uh, and particularly like living with a significant other and also living with a Bitcoin miner <laughs> in your home or even just like a GPU miner or something. You're right. Like mm. that is a, it's a huge problem here and um, or three problems that I'm, I'm really glad that you solved because it's something that was, yeah, that's, that's, we need to kind of build up more of and was definitely missing for a long time too. Look, I think the longer you're exposed to Bitcoin and mining in spe specifically, uh, the more humble you become <laughs> because uh, you start to realize how little you know uh, the, the deeper you go down these rabbit holes. Um, and, and mining is definitely one of those cases. Um, uh, I'm absolutely in awe uh, at what some of my colleagues in the industry have achieved. Um, and, and a lot of them are, are very, very quiet achievers. Um, you don't hear about what they're doing, uh, but they have operations far bigger in scale than, than anything I've accomplished in you know, the few short months that I've been in the industry. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there are, there are plenty of other people out there attempting to solve these same problems, just perhaps going about it in a different way, marketed in a different way. Uh, the way I'm attempting to connect with the market is to, I guess, create a very safe, comfortable and friendly experience um, 
one where uh, it's perfectly aligned uh, with the attributes of Bitcoin itself. Uh, so for me, it's extremely important that the hosting service uh, has the same attributes as Bitcoin, the network that, that people are excited about and want to support. Um, so you know, key and central to all of that is, you know, don't trust verify, um, which is why I insist that my customers, wherever it's logistically possible for them, come and visit the mine. Uh, they actually come to our data center, which we, we don't disclose the location, but I can say that it's um, inside the, the, the Brisbane Central Bus Business District um, in a commercial building uh, where we've done a, a heck of a lot of work to retrofit it um, uh, in order to, to, to safely operate this mine. And uh, I think uh, if you've ever visited another type of Bitcoin mine or you've seen pictures of what other types of Bitcoin mines look like, uh, this is not going to be what you expect to see. Um, this is far more akin to a specialized data center, um, you know, more stripped down and we take out the things that aren't necessary from, uh, I guess, a traditional you know, mission critical data center. Um, we strip out everything that you don't need, like redundant power and, um, you know, uh, ridiculous amounts of air conditioning. Um, and we change to things that are more cost effective for running a Bitcoin mine um, without compromising on safety and security uh, of people's minds. And with a huge focus and emphasis on cleanliness, um, neatness and tidiness in how we operate. So you're not going to see cable a mess of cables on the floor you're not going to see yeah, ridiculous temperatures um where you have to strip down to a t-shirt in order to work in in, in the environment um, so uh, we try and provide a, an environment that's beautiful on the mines uh, that gives the mines the maximum longevity um and uh yeah, protects people's investments um yeah so it's as we've seen recently uh yeah, you don't want to have uh, your mind exposed to risks that you don't realize are there. Um, for example, anyone who's been mining with a cloud mining operator in Russia in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, with BitRiver and, uh, and and Compass, uh, would have had a you know, very um, very, very very challenging situation uh, that they would have faced. Um, and perhaps they've now realized that they may have been able to secure what looked like a cheap power price, um, but in reality, that power price comes with a whole bunch of undisclosed or, or un, unpriced risks uh, attached to it. Um, in the case of, I guess, the Compass and BitRiver uh, experience, uh, you know, if, if you're an Australian miner caught up in, in that particular uh, event, what you probably didn't realize is that you were taking a cross-jurisdictional risk across three countries. Um, and counterparty risk across two counterparties in two separate countries. <laughs> and in actual fact, it's, I guess, the American government that you know, took a decision following a decision by the Russian government to essentially, I guess, take away the investment uh, that perhaps you made through uh, that relationship you had with Compass. And then your minds are no longer yours. That's it. There's a lot of trade-offs, isn't there? And sometimes the allure of cheaper prices uh, or a quicker setup mm -hmm. can then, well, be, again, very alluring. At the same time, you take on a lot of risk, a lot of uh, little contingencies and complexities that you don't have very much control over whatsoever. So having something that's here local 
and something that's verifiable as well, because that, that's the other, I think, mm. initial problem people would have had, uh, even maybe going back sort of six months, 12 months or more, is uh, finding a hosting facility here in Australia was difficult. But even if you found one, you couldn't inherently go and visit it and, and verify. So you were still right. taking on some level of counterparty risk. I would say probably less risk because at least it's uh, sort of bound by Australian laws. You know, it's here geographically. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, something like what you're doing, uh, allowing people to, to come in and check the mine out. Um, if they're either, you know, considering it or, or have, you know, purchased miners and, and have them hosted there. I think that's great. That's like the peace of mind that people need. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you, you've looked in also that um, cleanliness, safety, uh, convenience and, and setting it up in the way that's going to probably benefit the miners in the long run in terms of, you know, maintenance and less breakdowns and everything else. So, yeah, very cool and very much needed. I'm curious to maybe jump back into your uh, your personal Bitcoin journey, like kind of what got you to this point where you're like, okay, mining, you know, is this even possible? Is this something that I want to get into? Like what led you to that that point of even thinking Bitcoin's a thing that I, I might want to mine or other people might want to mine and this is going to be here you know, for the long run? Well, I guess like many people, uh, I have some Bitcoin regrets. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, very embarrassingly a class of 21 uh, <laughs> student. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, obviously, I've come to Bitcoin uh, a whole lot later than I should have, um, uh, and doubly so because I remember reading uh, a Slashdot article back in 2009 about this uh, magical internet currency that had been uh, invented. And uh, yeah, being a techie and, and from a software background, uh, it should have been something I, I would have been all over. Unfortunately, the year before I had dabbled around in uh, some of these high yield investment schemes that others had um, uh, excited me about, uh, I, I knew pretty much from the get-go that these things were rug pulls, um, but had a, had a, a micro crack at them anyway. Um, uh, because that was what all my mates were doing. Um, and I think and, if you know uh, it's a rug yeah. pull as well, you get that philosophy of, oh, look, I'll just get in and out pretty quickly. I'll just, I'll, I'll know that point to jump off, basically. <laughs> well, no, you don't. Uh, no, you, you don't. don't no, no. I'm just saying that's, that's the philosophy sometimes is like, oh, I know it's a rug pull, but that's fine. I'll be able to, you know, front run everyone else. Like, mm, can you though? <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. Um, and and I wasn't even attempting to, to, to jump out. I, I, I just had a, curiosity for how these things worked because um, it sounded like something that yeah to, in order to understand something you have to be involved in it you have to have some money on the table you have to pull it apart and pick all the pieces together um, but I, I uh, invested in a thing called eGold um, which uh, yeah, a, a very small amount of money of course um, and uh, about a year or so after that investment I received a check from the FBI <laughs> in America <laughs> Uh, they had actually managed to recover some of my funds. Um, and I think I've still got that check somewhere because uh, there's no way of cashing it uh, without incurring a bank fee <laughs> <laughs> that's substantially uh, larger than the, the value of, face value of the check. Um, but I guess, unfortunately, that the, the cost of that was that uh, I, I had a higher level of cynicism uh, towards all of these cryptocurrencies uh, baked into me. Um, and... Uh, you know, so it took a, a lot more for me to peer under the headlines um, and, and probably like many people, uh, I guess, from a, a sort of more corporate end of, of town and, and, and uh, I guess uh, having seen the ups and downs of business, um, 
and, and, and been through the cut and thrust of business for, for, for quite a few decades. Uh, you know, it, it was a very easy technology to dismiss uh, for a very long time uh, and not and not act, take action on. I do recall around about 2017 um, hearing about Bitcoin reaching $20,000 and they started quoting the Bitcoin price on the, on the daily financial news. Um, and that got me started thinking, why has this thing not failed yet? But unfortunately, I didn't follow that thread through. Um, and then when it got to $4,000 um, and they stopped reporting it on the news, I thought, you know what? Now is probably the time I should be buying. Um, and of course, again, yeah, the busyness of life takes over and I didn't bother investigating it. Uh, but fortunately, uh, a friend of mine kept nagging me in my ear and challenging me on my thought processes on basically my complete rote acceptance of yeah, the Bitcoin press, uh, mainstream media press uh, articles. And you know, so I thought I knew something about crypto and, and Bitcoin. And uh, you know, when, I, when I was challenged by my friend, I realized I actually couldn't answer his, his retorts with any authority. I, I felt myself just repeating what the mainstream media had taught me. So that's when I thought, well, maybe I, I need to get a bit more educated and, and be a bit more curious about this. Um, and I started reading all of the, the books that are you know, on, on, on probably everybody's lists. And you know, I thought, oh, well, I've missed the boat on, on Bitcoin. Surely there's another cryptocurrency out there I need to get onto. I'll, I'll find the next one instead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll find the next one instead. And uh, it it really didn't take me long, I think, to go down that thought process and realize, hang on a sec, there's something really magical going on here. Um, something I haven't actually physically seen before. Um, the network, yeah, I do certainly understand network effects from some of the other businesses I've been involved in previously. And I'm like, okay, there's, this is much bigger than I realized um, and much more fundamental. And uh, lo and behold, I attended a, a, a Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency uh, talk and I was sitting next to someone uh, at that talk. And I said to him at the end that the speaker doesn't understand Bitcoin because by this stage, I thought I'd, I'd orange pin, I'd, I'd at least halfway orange pilled myself based on all the material I'd read and, and listened to on the internet. And the person next to me, unbeknownst to me, was uh, one of the members of the CEO Institute. And he said, well, um, actually, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to invite you to give a talk uh, to the CEO Institute. And that forced me um, to really want to know what I'm talking about, because if I'm going to stand up in front of a whole bunch of other CEOs of SMEs um, and, and, and larger businesses and talk about yeah, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and, and where everything's heading in the future, um, I better start to know what I'm talking about. Um, and that's actually how uh, I you know, started to read Jimmy Song's book on programming Bitcoin. And I wanted to understand all the mathematics. Um, I've you know, done a mathematics degree in, in, in my early education. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it's my first exposure to elliptic curve cryptography. Uh, been in IT for 30 years, but never understood how cryptography actually worked. Um, then I got um, you know, stuck into this book, uh, read some of the source code on GitHub, um, started to realize you know, how well thought through and how, how well, well built this technology really is. And uh, uh, yeah, that's when I built a node, um, my first node, that, so I could run a node and understand how that worked. Then I built a lightning um, node as well um, and started opening lightning channels. Then I had a, a lightning wallet 
And I remember going uh, to a Bitcoin meetup where we could pay for our lunch using sats. Um, and that was my first lightning transaction. We actually spent lightning, uh, spent Bitcoin on lightning. And that's where I, I just realized this is, this is even more game changing than I first realized. Um, and uh, then I wanted to understand a little bit about mining. So a friend of mine said that they'd help me build a GPU based mining rig. At the time, I didn't really understand the difference between crypto and Bitcoin mining uh, and why there's a big difference between those two. Um, and uh, I was only halfway on my journey to Bitcoin maximization at this point. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so I, I, I built a rig uh, with, with this friend um, and then I ended up with three of them by the end of the month. And uh, one thing <laughs> that I sh must warn absolutely everyone who's listening is um, uh, Bitcoin mining is extremely addictive. Incredibly, um, yeah. And, and stacking every, hash everyone... is just as good as stacking sats, I think. Yeah. Oh yes, oh yes. And uh, you, know, you once you start down this path, uh, it's very hard to stop. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, then I uh, started getting some ASICs, and before, before I knew it, I had you know like a whole double-digit number of mines. Um, and uh, I'd use some spare real estate that I. I had to, um, to to store these mines um, and run them where I had a bit of power. Um, turned out the building I was in had its own substation. Um, I didn't even know what a substation was at that time. Sure, sure as hell do now. Um, I suddenly know my amps, my watts, and uh, and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, that's that's when I really started to go to town and buy a whole bunch of racks. Um, yes, I started to see that there was a wider need uh for for this kind of hosting and uh yeah before you know it yeah, th this has uh, become my full-time career now um so by about christmas last year um, i realized that this is what i wanted to do um i wanted to help the industry flourish here in australia and i'm kind of on a personal mission to make it possible for people who were exactly like me six months ago um be able to get from where they are today, which is probably close to zero knowledge of mining, all the way through to having a successful operation um, and then being able to scale up. So yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. I think it's a great mission. Like I, I have this tagline in my Twitter uh, profile that just says to uh, expand and secure the network. Expanding is kind of mm -hmm. evangelizing Bitcoin, getting people to understand it, to buy some, to mine some, to run a node. But of course, securing the network as well, which is you know just increasing hash rate. Mm -hmm. And so you've essentially got that same mission. So I, I resonate with that. And uh, I, I think it's a very good mission to have. And I think your, your story is very, probably very similar to mine and a lot of other people into Bitcoin, just in terms of the parallels of you hear about Bitcoin, you ignore it for a couple of years, you hear about it more and more in the media. There is usually like a friend at the side somewhere saying like, hey, man, you should pay a little bit more attention to this. And after enough touch yeah. points, you start to look into it. But then you start to mm -hmm. realize there's more to it than what you think. And when you start getting into the uh, like the technical complexity and, and the technical elegance of it as well, I think that mm -hmm. is, you know, that's what made me like reading Mastering Bitcoin and uh, I've only got a very small amount of programming background. So I tried to get through Jimmy Song's programming Bitcoin, but kind of got stuck at a lot of the uh, the practical parts. <laughs> but certainly reading yeah. Mastering Bitcoin helped me understand like, wow, this is engineering elegance. And this is something that has mm. future-proofed itself and like circumvented a lot of attack vectors before they even existed. And it's just 
it's kind of mind blowing. But then of, of yeah. course your journey, you got burnt by, you know, some shitcoin stuff in there, which, you know, would have put you off progressing much further mm. with it. But, you know, you mm -hmm. still managed to, uh, to find motivations to do so. And I, I just had this epiphany when you were telling that story, actually, is that I think once someone builds their own node, runs their own node, and perhaps even has exposure to the Lightning Network, mm -hmm. that's when you, you don't go back from that. That's almost like that point no. of no return with Bitcoin, because yeah. then you understand like what is decentralization. Mm -hmm. If you do shitcoin, you start to look at those things like, all right, well, who's developing this? And, you know, are those people known? Can those people be commandeered in some way? Can I run my own node? Is that even possible? Can I spend this and, and use it on a day-to-day -day basis? And those sort of questions normally just let you triangulate back to Bitcoin of like, well, no, this already solves it. Nothing else is really adding anything to it. So, yeah, mm. it's... Uh, it's, it's probably a very characteristic journey of a lot of Bitcoiners. But yeah, I, I don't think I've thought of it that way before. It's like once you set up your own node, like you don't go back from that. And, and I think that was probably my point too. Once I started running my own node, it was just, it's like all in from that point, basically. I think you have to have some level of exposure to shitcoins um, and how they operate to really, really viscerally get what's going on with Bitcoin and why Bitcoin is so different. Um, so as part of my journey, I ended up, because uh, I was looking for all other things where some kind of proof of was required. Uh, I was originally yeah, totally convinced by proof of stake um, because it just seemed to be the right answer uh, to all of the problems of, of proof of work. And I must admit, it took me something like three or four months of study to understand why proof of stake was an absolute disaster um, and completely the wrong path to go down. Um, and, and now I have a fantastic better appreciation of proof of work um, and why it's so essential um, to the future of this network and the, and the financial system. Um, equally, uh, a, another way of enlightening yourself is to try and run uh, a helium network. Um, so I've, I've got a whole bunch of, of helium mines and yeah, you know, don't, don't necessarily promote or, or shill helium. Um, and, and the more I've learned and experienced how uh, helium has worked, the more it's yeah, illuminated for me how amazing Bitcoin is because you know, if anyone who's ever dabbled in, in something like helium before, there is an allure to it because it does involve some of the same things that we see in proof of work. There's a proof of coverage concept where you have to physically set up RF antennas, you have to physically set up a whole bunch of gear. It, it's got a very similar feel in terms of the, the effort and the technical skills required and the access to assets that are needed um, that you see in, in Bitcoin mining. But uh, what's immediately different is how the network itself is operated um, and who's in charge of it uh, and how change happens and how you're not in charge of the rules. Uh, someone else is. Uh, and you wake up one day and they've arbitrarily changed how proof of coverage works. <laughs> and uh, uh, all of a sudden you're earning fewer coins and those coins are worth less and less on the market. Um, so yeah, without going into too much depth on, on, on a shit coin like, like Helium, I think being involved in the, at least to some extent in, in these other projects uh, really gives you this fantastic lived experience that, that actually grows your conviction um, and helps you orange pill others uh, a whole lot better than than you could if you hadn't had that experience and just ignored it. That's true. Because I think the consensus model of Bitcoin is still very confusing 
And I think that took me even a few years to really understand it. And even just in the last year or so, understanding it better and better over time, because sometimes you talk to people about something like Bitcoin and they'll say, well, how does it get upgraded? Like, what's the process there? And their mind is thinking democracy. So they'll say something like, well, what if the majority of people want to have this upgrade, but you don't want it? It's like, well, you, you don't have to run the code. You keep running the code that you've always been running. There's people running very old versions of Bitcoin Core and everything still works just fine. Like, that's the entire point. The only point it becomes contentious is if it might be a hard fork and then you need to decide yeah. which one am I going with here. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, the way that yeah, I think the Bitcoin ethos is, is it's like soft fork is the way forward. Hard fork is only mm-hmm. if it's a, you know, a dire straight. But yeah, our, our brains do not work or at least they don't kind of like absorb that consensus function very well because it's not what we've lived in in terms of society and politics. It's very much like the majority rule over the minority. And it sounds like, uh, is it helium Did you or Helios? Helium? The, helium, the one that you're, uh, yeah, it sounds like that's yeah. similar. It's like, you know, if the developers, if the, if the founders decide, hey, look, this is mm-hmm. the way forward, that's their, uh, essentially, they have some sort of veto rule. It's not even a democracy as such. It's more like where we're the deciders and, and everyone else would just have, have to deal with this going forward. And you would assume that they make yeah. decisions that are for the longevity of the project, but you might not agree with those decisions. And if you don't, you're kind of stuck going forward with it anyway, which is where Bitcoin is drastically different to say if a bunch of developers or miners or institutional players decide to do something with it that you don't agree, you can just not agree and just keep running your old code, which is just a very unique thing. It's, it's a fabulous thing. Um, and I think uh, that's what uh, uh, you uh, certainly learn. The closer you're, um, you get any kind of exposure to shit coins, the more you realize that even the well-intentioned projects expose you to changes that uh, changing rules of the game, which is extremely fiat-like. You know, the, the, that's everything that we're here to try and get away from. I guess uh, some of the things I've, I've also taken criticism for uh, in the community, in the mining community, in the Bitcoin mining community, is you know, we don't reject people who come to us with you know, non-Bitcoin miners. So uh, I actually think it's it's not right for us as a hosting company to uh, offer any judgment on what people choose to mine. Our job is to provide them with a good environment for their equipment. Uh, it's not to pass judgment on what they want to be involved in, uh, which projects they want to be involved in. And I actually think that we're probably going to end up doing more good for the Bitcoin maximalist community by being a broad church and welcoming everybody. Um, who wishes to mine, because ultimately everyone who mines those altcoins is eventually going to go on the same journey you and I have um, and realize, actually, I need to swap what I'm mining and and go to directly supporting the network. Uh, And I can tell you that just about every customer we have in the center has, since since starting, has been on exactly that journey. All of them are, uh, I guess, realizing for themselves without us having to do a whole lot of orange pilling, the, their, their interests are best served by moving over to directly supporting the SHA-256 uh, uh, protocol. I think people having that personal journey makes their decision has more weight for them personally, and it's yes. usually more sustainable versus if they go to, mm. to set up at mine racks and you say, sorry, you're not mining Bitcoin, so we can't take your service. And they go, oh, you know, Bitcoin is a terrible, they're bad for the industry. I'll go to a place that does crypto mining yeah. only, and I'll never be exposed to Bitcoin. And I'll, I'll be on this, like this eclipse attack, you know, getting all the wrong information and I'll, you know, never be integrating with the right people. Yeah. And I, I guess it comes back to me to things like, you know, libertarian ideals 
or even Austrian economic mm. ideals and, and the idea of a free market, mm -hmm. most Bitcoiners would say, yes, I absolutely subscribe to those theories. But then at the same time, they're like, we want to shut down cryptocurrencies. And like part of me is like, yes, I'd love to do that. However, it would be better if it happens in a free market method where people converge upon the best asset, yep. the best uh, protocol to mine on and let everything else die off quite naturally because that, that's organic and that's sustainable. Whereas if you you force that to happen, people will be going, well, why are we being forced to Bitcoin? Why can't we check out these other things? Like it just, it, it's not the right kind of ethos to have, even though we'd all love Bitcoin just to be the one that, you know, everyone just jumps to immediately. So I, I agree with you there. Like let the free market decide. And it's not up to us to yeah, make uh, judgments or, or criticisms of others as they're on that journey. Similar to you know, something that's happening kind of recently is that developers will make privacy tools in Bitcoin and then say, but I don't want it to be used for X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, you just <laughs> you create the tool and the tool gets used. That's the whole idea. Yeah. You don't create the tool and say, don't yeah. use it for these things because those that's a slippery slope. It becomes a point where you go, well, what, mm. what's privacy about then if you can't use it for what you need it for and it's only for a certain amount of things? Like That just sounds like regulation. That doesn't sound like... <laughs> privacy mm. and security it sounds like yeah there's a there's a vested interest in the outcome there so yeah i very much agree with that um that process and it's good to hear as well that people are finding that in their journey they'll come to you they might start with you know crypto mining but then very soon they go like maybe i should check one of these asics out as well and proof of work and mm. they kind of start going down that rabbit hole yeah one of my good friends uh in the industry says to me you know you, you catch more flies with honey um and that's definitely been the ethos that we've applied here um i guess just harking back to some of my journey um like a, a i guess early childhood experience for me was in my teenage years um uh, my family and I moved to South America. Um, and uh, so I spent yeah, my very formative years um, living in an economy where I experienced three different currencies. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think cruzeros, cruzados, novos cruzeros, uh, reage. Uh, it was a whole basket of them. And basically every now and then the bank would print you a new bunch of notes um, and then they would stamp them and, and keep taking three zeros off. Um, and uh, so I've definitely lived through hyperinflation uh, before. Um, I've lived also through bank, like state level confiscation of people's assets um, in Argentina as well. And, and once in Brazil, where basically the government overnight after being elected would come in and say, well, we've got this great idea to fix inflation, hyperinflation. We'll, we'll just reset everyone back to zero <laughs> and, and eliminate everything you have in your bank account. Um, and so, you know, that, that kind of experience, visceral experience, uh, yeah, uh, most of us in Australia aren't, aren't exposed to these kinds of experiences. Um, but I, I think I was very lucky to have that experience early in life um, because it gives me a, an insight, I think, into how other cultures and other countries get a different set of value out of Bitcoin um, compared to people such as ourselves. Most of the time we've lived under, yeah, I guess the Australian dollar system has been, you know, quite frankly, a, a reasonably stable and, and reasonably well-functioning uh, monetary system, certainly compared to other currencies around the world. Hmm. Um, so for some people that might mean that, yeah, they don't really get why Bitcoin is such a, a revolutionary technology. Um, but when you consider globally what it means um, to people that are in economies that function very differently to ours, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's obvious where the utility is.
True. Alex Gladstein has done so much good work in this space. Mm. Uh, and I think one of the terms that he uses is, yeah, financial privilege. Like we, in a lot of Western mm. societies, we have a lot of financial privilege where people will say, I don't really see the point of something like Bitcoin because everything's mostly okay here. And they've never experienced something like a currency collapse or a complete, you know, rapid debasement of it. Or they haven't known anyone who's actually unbanked. They haven't had to deal mm. with international remittances using like corrupt or expensive or inefficient intermediaries. So none of these things really make sense as a value proposition to say we should be using something like Bitcoin instead, or you should be holding your own money, or you should be using it peer to peer. None of these things really seem like that useful until maybe they've experienced it themselves or they've heard enough stories or they see it on the news, which I think is what most people are gonna be exposed to now because we're seeing more mm. of these sort of things, potential bank runs or currency collapses or uh, sovereign debt defaults, et cetera that's going to be, yeah, I think waking a lot of people up. And it makes sense that you had that that background that primed you to really start to grok it probably from an early point of getting into it and seeing the engineering elegance and seeing the kind of financial mm. economic um, yeah, value proposition that it holds over the alternative of, of fiat currencies. And crazy that you live through like three different currencies. That's like, ah, uh, you know, even for me, like I, I do think five actually. Yeah, wow, three, like, three in Brazil and two in Argentina. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's just so crazy, isn't it? Like I, I do want to mm. research on this to understand conceptually, but I think experiencing that is just. Yeah. And at that point, if there is no alternative, you just go, well, you know, this is the way it is. I'm, I'm glad that we've got something nice that the government provides us, whatever that might be, whether it's roads or some security, or at least they seem like they have a plan. So this will be sorted out. Like we kind of just fall back to like, oh, well, that's really shit. But you know what? There's something good somewhat that's here as a benefit or, a, you know, a payoff to that until you find Bitcoin. Then you're like, okay, no, we need to just like explode this whole system and, and start with a new one instead. <laughs> mm. What did your your friends and family think and, and say when you decided, oh, look, this Bitcoin thing seems to have some legs to it. And in fact, mining it is what I want to make my life about. What was the general response? Uh, I decided to not tell anyone <laughs> for a while um, and uh, really make sure I grew my own conviction uh, before going down that stage. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I'm only still partway through that journey personally. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I still grapple with a lot of questions in my mind about uh, mining, um, whether I'm doing the right thing, whether we're you know, contributing to uh, building a better environment. I'm weighing and balancing uh, continuously, you know, is what I'm doing uh, the right thing for the future, uh, for, for, our, for our children, uh, for the next generation. Um, every decision and every activity you do has not only positive impacts, but negative ones as well. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm happy to admit that I, I freely am concerned and worry about uh, what I do um, and what impact it has um, on, uh, I guess, the grid, on energy, uh, on, um, I guess, uh, e-waste. Uh, th these are all things that, that I haven't yet got all the answers for um, and I'm still exploring and uh, and discovering uh, new rabbit holes to go and find <laughs> uh, uh, get more information through. So uh, yeah, certainly uh, uh, one thing I find uh, has been, and you, I think you asked me earlier about, is there a, you know, a new rabbit hole or a new industry that you were forced to learn about um, as a result of being in, uh, yeah, having a bit uh, a pure Bitcoin business, and yeah, one of the huge 
uh, line item costs we have is energy. And uh, uh, the way I put it to people is that uh, what you're actually doing when you're mining uh, is you, you can't just look at the price of energy on, on its own. What you're really signing up for in every case is, is a series of engineering and economic trades. Um, so when you look at the, the price of what you're investing in your mining, you're actually looking at a basket of risks. Um, so you know, often those risks are enumerated and sometimes they're not, um, and you can't put a, a number against it. Um, so very often you know, people just judge our service, for example, purely on the basis of its price versus another price they've seen somewhere else. Uh, without fully considering and understanding and, and enumerating all of the risks that each of those respective choices are made up of. So, for example, uh, I'm working on a project right now, uh, which will see us put a containerized mining solution uh, out at a flare gas site um, where we could well be in a position to offer our customers you know, sub 10 cent uh, per kilowatt hour hosting. Um, well behind the meter, um, but with that comes trade-offs. So whereas at our, our current uh, model, uh, you can come and visit the center quite easily because it's you know, very handy to Brisbane uh, and the CBD, these containerized remote sites are going to be very difficult to offer that same capability. Uh, equally in our CBD site, because it's a small one, we allow people to pop in their mind literally for a few days. Um, or for any length of time that suits them, uh, and then pull their mine out with no contractual obligation to stick around. So it's close to a self-custody experience as we can possibly offer. Obviously, the trade-off that we'll have when we're you know, thousands of kilometers from a major city and on a secured site is it will be that much more difficult to offer the don't trust verify uh, concept. We are working really hard to come up with a means of being able to give people that, that comfort and validation uh, while still offering them a, a world-class price point uh, where they remain globally competitive in their mining. And look, you know, learning about how the energy grid is run, uh, learning about where energy prices are headed in the next couple of years, you know, particularly with inflation and, and, and the fiat world that we're in, has been an absolute eye-opening experience. Um, you know, uh, essentially trying to become a, you know, a, a, a bush, uh, electrical engineer, <laughs> which is a, a necessary prerequisite for what we do, you know, un understanding how a substation works and what it does, what its role is on the grid, learning how to build a power system off grid entirely, um, and all of the challenges that come with that. Yeah, it's a huge rabbit hole to go down. I think to be a like a proper Bitcoiner and to be really involved in the space, you need to be more than a jack of all trades. You need to be a polymath. Like you need to understand mm. so many. Um, diverse areas in it to a level of detail beyond what most people as a jack of all trades would need to know. I'm really glad to hear that um, there's there's work being done, and especially from yourself in that uh, mm. like flared gas, because that that's something that seems to have really taken off in America. Uh, like Marty yeah. Bent is someone who I've listened to from a, a pretty early stage in in my kind of Bitcoin journey, and and probably was instrumental to me really understanding Bitcoin and and where the uh, the industry is going, especially with mining and the kind of amalgamation of uh, both the energy sector and the Bitcoin mining sector, and that the work that they're doing with flared gas over there it seems like we're right for it here in Australia, but for mm. one reason or another, um, probably like regulations and logistical reasons and everything else has been, seems like it's been difficult to get something like that off the ground here. So I'm really glad to hear that, uh, you know, you're kind of going down that rabbit hole and trying to smooth out the the trade-offs that people would have 
to have that, you know, cheaper electricity cost, that's probably right. something that's better overall in terms of for the environment to kind of reduce that flared gas output and then mm-hmm. kind of convert it to Bitcoin instead. But of course, you're right. It comes with like you got to transport it there and back. You know, maybe the, the sites aren't as clean as the where you would have in you know, the Brisbane setup. Like there's all those different nuances that um, that people need to be aware of. But you're doing a, you know, a job to try to smooth that out. Very cool. Are mm-hmm. you knowing where kind of our, our cloud world fiat um, debasement is going and also the fact that energy prices will probably go up for that reason and also we probably haven't invested where we need to have invested in terms of energy yep. um uh, what am i thinking here like re- reliability in australia are you still yep. hopeful i'm guessing you're still hopeful because you're still in this industry but are you hopeful in terms of that being able to be um i guess balanced out with the income that people would earn from doing something like bitcoin mining does that make I sense, think, that question? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. Um, I think there's, when I, I meet a lot of people who are yeah, considering mining for the first time, and uh, I think you could put them in two broad categories, is that the people that are sitting down writing a spreadsheet, <laughs> analyzing everything from a fiat mindset and going, yeah, now, uh, uh, what's my cents per kilowatt hour? And um, yeah, if I have this many machines, do I still need to go to work tomorrow? Um, yeah, <laughs> everyone's done those calculations. Everyone's put together a spreadsheet. And I can tell you right now, uh, none of these spreadsheets are worth anything, really. Uh, then none of them really tell you that they're all wrong, um, including any anyone I've built, um, because they all make use of assumptions that can, cannot possibly be known. Um, and that the following day, if you if you update those assumptions, what was a spreadsheet that gave you an answer you wanted to see will give you an answer you don't want to see the, the following day. Um, and then I guess there's the other category of people that go, well, I'm in mining not necessarily for the fiat return. Um, I have no intention of selling my coins to fund my mining habit. Um, I intend to hodl and essentially treat mining like a, uh, I guess, a, a almost philanthropic contribution to the network while simultaneously uh, accumulating sats. Um, kind of like a DCA um, and you know, knowing that you have not only, you know, have you dollar cost averaged uh, some sats along the way, essentially using your power and hosting bills as a means of acquiring sats on a, on a progressive basis, a locked in investment plan, if you like. Um, you also have a piece of hardware that um, generally speaking is going down in value, but does reasonably well track uh, the underlying coin price on the exchanges. So I think, uh, yeah, those are the two broad categories that sort of motivate people when they're first starting out. Um, but obviously, when you get into the the, the really big hyperscaling app, um, and that's where yeah, you're starting to move away from having half a dozen mines to yeah, filling a container <laughs> or yeah, establishing your own farm. Yeah, it's a different uh, set of thinking altogether um, that 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 drives that kind of decision making. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm really only just learning myself uh, what uh, what factors go into those kinds of decisions. I would imagine the uh, the latter example there of the two different categories probably keeps people a bit, I don't know, stress-free, but have less stress during the process because yes. uh, I think any kind of uh, economic model or environmental climate kind of model has proven that they, uh, they don't really hold up that well. And if you have any kind of inconsistencies mm. or, or something that's not quite accurate earlier on in the model, as you extrapolate further and further out, it gets further and further away. So I've done the same mm. thing with spreadsheets, trying to anticipate things like difficulty adjustment, energy costs, and it's yep. stuff that is too far out of your control. And, and you're right, because some mornings you wake up and you're like, wow, this is not 
not going to be profitable at all. But hold on, the Bitcoin price might go up. Oh, that's going to change everything. Geez, when's that going to happen? You can't factor that in. It's just a matter of yeah. you need to decide to do it for the right reasons um, and also know that you have the right cash flow perhaps to service the costs in fiat while you're accruing Bitcoin at the same time. Yeah, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Do I don't I wouldn't recommend anybody approach mining as a primary source of income. Um, it's, it's, it's a terrible source of income, um, especially if you are in a position where you have to sell your coins every month in order to meet your obligations to your hosting or energy provider. It's definitely a path you do not want to go down. So I would always advocate that mining should be a, a secondary source of income for most people. Um, most people should complement mining with whatever it else it is that they are good at doing um, and uh, yeah, have mining as a, a another form of Bitcoin income um, where they can use some of their fiat uh, income, gain a deduction where, wherever they receive the right financial advice to do so um, and, uh, and, and just use it as another uh, method in their arsenal for accumulating sats. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I think that does take the stress out of it and is uh, yeah, much more sustainable. Do you have other tips for people that are getting into or just considering getting into something like this? I think some of those things are, are actually really instrumental to getting people to have the right mindset. But anything else? I, I think I think something that uh, is perhaps really important is for people to understand the level of risk that they are taking. Um, and uh, I think no one has put it better for me than Hass McCook. Um, who uh, I attended one of his courses in um, in Brisbane or presentation he did in Brisbane not, not that not a couple of months ago and uh, yeah I found myself nodding uh, all throughout the whole presentation um, yeah Hasma Cook basically comes from mining with a point of view of eventually because essentially mining is the nearest thing we have in the world today to a perfectly competitive market. Um, so uh, the prediction of a perfectly competitive market is that profits available in that market will tend to zero. <laughs> and uh, so I, I have been voluntarily embarking on a business that is destined to have no profit <laughs> at some point in the future. So uh, I think it's really important to, to enter it in, into it with uh, a mindset that, that um, yeah, correctly frames the risks um, and, the, and the likelihood of success being essentially uh, yeah, very, very low. So you know, I think if you, if you start from that premise, um, then you start looking for, well, where can we compete? In the world's most competitive market, there's basically two strategies you can adopt. One is cost leadership. Now, there's probably no way on earth in Australia that we are going to be able to become you know, the lowest cost place in the world to mine Bitcoin. Just the fact that labor is involved in mining Bitcoin um, some degree of labor is involved and we, and we pay people properly here uh, and we have awards and we have wage conditions that, that, that are healthy. Uh, we are never going to be the cheapest place in the world to mine. Therefore, that leaves us with only one other vector to, to play with and that's the innovation leadership. Um, so if we can't be, I guess, the most cost-effective place in the world to mine, we can at least attempt to be one of the most innovative uh, places in the world to mine. And, and that innovation can extend not only to the technical innovation of how we go about mining and taking on board new technologies like immersion or um, um, some of the other um, uh, technical options that are out there, uh, but equally that could be financial innovation too in, in how we go about financing um, our, our mining operations too.
Are those some of the things that uh, for mine racks you're looking into? Um, absolutely. Kind of, yeah, yeah, ways to sort of innovate in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are there any other things that you want people to know about mine racks, um, either spaces that you're looking at getting into or things that we haven't talked about yet that might yeah, be good for them to know? Sure. We, we think that mining in Australia is something that I want to personally see still be possible for someone like you or me uh, to get into and get into sustainably and profitably uh, you know, five years from now. Um, and I fear if we don't do the work today to make that possible, we're going to end up with a centralized mining system. And we're already starting to see the first signs of consolidation happening in the US uh, between the sort of medium and small scale miners. Um, and eventually we're going to end up with a handful of miners, just like we, the internet journey has led to us essentially having a handful of FANG uh, large players that dominate and control the majority of the industry. Um, I really don't want to see that future for mining. Um, I'd love it to remain decentralized and I'd love it to do so yeah, without having to rely on another centralized US entity like a compass or, or, or um, you know, another organization that um, yeah, may, may make it appear easy, um, but in reality doesn't have Australian content. Um, and it's verifiable. So I'd like to see uh, more branches of mine racks open up in people's hometowns. Um, and I'm talking your places like Sydney and Melbourne um, and later on Perth and Adelaide, where there is an easy to go to centre where you can get advice on mining, where you can host your mine and see your mine as that first entry point into mining. That's where we need to develop people's comfort with the whole idea and knowledge. Uh, people get knowledgeable and they spend time learning about something once they have a stake in the game. Um, and that's something that uh, I think we need to develop uh, in this country. Uh, following on from that, uh, I want to also give people a pathway uh, once they've you know, built some stake in the game and, and understanding of how it works. I want to give them a pathway towards being able to, those that do want to, give them a way to scale up um, and go really hardcore. Um, and that's where uh, some of our containerized solutions and some of our uh, permanent solutions in uh, remote areas with fantastic energy prices and resources, uh, that's where that comes into, into the fore. So we're, we're wanting to partner with people that, that want to join us on that journey. Um, and this is an open shout out and call out to everyone who thinks that they'd like to contribute or, or help out or uh, would like our help. Uh, equally, we're... Um, yeah, we think that although mining is extremely competitive, uh, it's a surprisingly collaborative industry. Um, I'm constantly working with people that, in theory, are my competitors. Um, uh, and uh, we, we all help each other out. Um, yeah, I might run out of space one day and someone will take some of my mines so that I can host a customer. Um, I'll, I'll probably return the favor at some point um, when, when they've run out of space. Uh, we share technical tips and ideas, um, we, we share suppliers. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an, a different ethos to what I've seen in other industries. I think it aligns so well with just the general Bitcoin ethos, isn't it? You know, it's a non-zero yeah. sum game where you can collaboratively mm -hmm. compete with each other, but for the same yeah. mutual pursuit. And I think it's great what you're trying to do in terms of expanding the um, I guess the infrastructure, for lack of better words, both technologically in terms of education um, here in Australia to make it so there is a more decentralized 
you know, production of hash throughout the world and even throughout Australia, rather than having more and more just converge on, you know, a few large miners in America, essentially. I think it's uh, it's much needed for the Bitcoin network. But even in terms of, because uh, I think there will be a bit of a hash war as, as time goes on. So at least having Australia, you know, have a you know something in that race is going to be really important i think so it's really cool what you're doing and also yeah just that reflection that um you know you work with competitors collaboratively like it's a, it's a beautiful mm. thing and so unlike anything that we do in in so many other uh, walks of business that's right yeah. i'm keen to uh, to shift gears a little bit and uh maybe just talk a bit more generally about bitcoin as well um having said that if anything kind of pops up regarding your own journey or, or mine racks we can always sort of uh, pace ourselves back to there uh, but have you like you would talk to so many people about things like Bitcoin, I imagine, in your job, and some of them would be already Bitcoiners. But do you have any, uh, yeah, orange pill stories or anything that's helped you, you know, in terms of tips to orange pill people who maybe weren't into Bitcoin and maybe came there to mine helium or mine something else or to ask for some queries? And before they left, they were like, holy shit, I've been pointed in the wrong direction. It's about Bitcoin. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that that latter example uh, probably from most of our customers um, and I, I think uh, you can actually orange peel people without even trying to um, I think when you try too hard and you try and shove something down someone's throat uh, they tend to run in the opposite direction um, so uh, I think the first uh, stage in orange pilling is establishing yourself as someone who speaks the truth and is trustworthy um, and you do that literally through deeds, not words. Um, and so once people realize that you know, what you say they can rely upon, that you will deliver what you promise, um, when you speak about Bitcoin, they're now more receptive to what you have to say. Um, so I think uh, that's probably step one. Um, step two is simply exposure to the network. Um, and trying it out and using it. Uh, particularly, I, I think for me, the biggest experience that most brought this home was uh, starting to mine into my Lightning wallet and going to lunch with fellow Bitcoiners and paying for lunch with the sats that I had mined while I was having lunch. <laughs> uh, that, that really brought it home for me that I was actually doing something that yeah, really works um, and, and, and really does something that other people value. And uh, I guess uh, the, the second dimension to that, not only mining for yourself, but then helping other people on their mining journey that otherwise wouldn't be able to mine at all uh, because they don't have the right setup at home or they don't feel comfortable with the overseas options, but you gave them the experience that they were looking for. Uh, that in itself is a reward uh, far beyond anything you can personally hope for um, in, in material terms. Um, it's just a wonderful experience to, to help someone along that journey that they otherwise would have been blocked from doing. Definitely. And it's nice that it has that mutual benefit of probably being one of the most efficient ways to actually orange pill someone sustainably is yep. being helpful, getting them involved so they can see it demonstrably themselves. Um, and yeah, take that sort of softly, softly approach. Let them approach you once you've established yourself as, you know, being in the know or being an expert in an area. People will seek you out when, when it seems viable to them. So yeah, very good points. I think the other thing that we, we should all in the community be conscious of is not trying to oversell Bitcoin. It, it's already a fantastic uh, network 
it has fantastic characteristics. Uh, but I think a lot of us are living in the future uh, when we when we consider the attributes of Bitcoin. And not, some of us perhaps aren't as realistic when we're trying to orange peel people about what the present actually is. Yeah, the present day experience of Bitcoin for people who aren't initiated and don't see the vision that we share uh, is actually this is quite a clunky, awkward, difficult experience. Um, uh, yeah, we're still not there yet in terms of an experience that uh, yeah, my wife or you know her her parents, uh, for example, would would get excited about. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of infrastructure, uh, a lot of simpler ways of getting on board um, that are needed uh, before other people who are less technically inclined than perhaps we are will get it and understand what this new vision of the future is. Um, and I think yeah, it is uh, yeah things like the volatility like today the coin prices are, 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 are yeah, perhaps not feeding into our narrative. Um, uh, yeah, that, to, to me, that's completely irrelevant information. But for someone who is still halfway between that yeah, understanding Bitcoin journey and still living in a fiat world, it's, it, it can be off-putting um, and it can prevent, uh, it can slow down the orange pilling process. Definitely. There are barriers there, aren't there? And, and there's so much assumed knowledge and assumed interest too, because some people are like, all right, I'm kind of interested in Bitcoin. How do I use it? And then immediately it's like, well, don't you know run a custodial wallet. You, you should probably be running your own node. You need a Raspberry Pi. And they're like, a Raspberry what? What am I meant to do now? Like I've never even built yeah. my own computer and now I'm building a single board computer, huh? Or even, yeah, the, the volatility. Oh, it's a store of value. Oh, but when I bought it, the price went down. Oh, that's fine. It's a store of value in the long run. It's like, but I want a store of value now. It's like, it's, it's all these yeah. sort of like nuances <laughs> to it that, you know, you become barriers for people. And I think you're right. We are living into the, in the future, essentially. We know the value mm -hmm. proposition that it has. We understand the fundamentals. Most of us don't even really talk about the price anymore unless we're talking about, you know, normies talking about the price or they're asking us about that's it. A um, and otherwise, yeah, I think it, it's understanding that people are still at that point where they see the price volatility and it's scary. They see the complexity of it um, or how many um, caveats there are. Like, yes, you can run that wallet, but you should actually be doing it like X, Y, and Z. And it's like, oh, that's really difficult. I want to do it perfectly. And if I can't do it perfectly, I just, I'll just wait until it's more accessible. And it's, so it's, yeah, I think yeah. realizing where people are at and like meeting them halfway. And again, sort of taking that softly, softly approach where it's a spectrum. You know, you don't have to do it perfectly mm. to begin with. You know, you can start at a point, get used to it, get more interested and motivated to learn more or to be more hands-on. And some people might not even. Like, I, I don't think when we have global adoption of Bitcoin, everyone's going to be running their own node or everyone's going to be running a miner. I don't think that's going to happen. I think maybe most people or a much larger proportion than there are right now, but there's still going to be plenty of people that just want to be able to use the network, but not have to like set up their own node and do everything else. I don't want that Absolutely. to be misinterpreted. Like I think people always should, but I'm just saying, realistically speaking, mm. there's going to be plenty of people that don't. So I think understanding that and, you know, meeting people where they're at, it's a, it's a good point. Yep. What makes you uh, excited about the Bitcoin network? If you if you can think of something, oh, <laughs> oh we've probably covered most of it. But uh, I know <laughs> I think it's uh, look. Put it this way: I think there's an entire army of people that previously were doing whatever job it was that they were doing before in technology, uh, who are now laser focused on solving the energy crisis that we have right now. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely a member of that new army uh, that's been, that's forming. Um, and I'm applying all the, the skills and knowledge that I was previously applying to something that 
perhaps society wouldn't have valued as much uh, as it will now value as you know putting some of the the collective uh, energy and and resources and and brain power to, towards solving some of these uh, energy problems the enthusiasm and the work that needs to go in uh, to i guess on the one hand we, we obviously are in the in the middle of a transition of where we're generating our energy from and what what society believes is a, an appropriate standard um, uh, for how that energy is used. Um, certainly, I, I'm definitely encountering out in the world of energy producers. On the one hand, you've got some a, a group of people that are completely open to the idea of uh, yeah, mining uh, and, and using uh, the energy for the Bitcoin network. They're, basically looking at it in pure economic terms, oh, there's someone who can take our offtake uh, that I can't otherwise sell. Um, and they're prepared to pay me this much for it. Um, and that makes sense to me. So I'll go ahead and support that and do it. Um, and on the other hand, you've got others that I think, yeah, there's a bit of an echo of the net neutrality debate going on right now. Of, well, I'd, I'd like to sell you my power, but I don't like what you're planning on using it for. Um, because I don't believe it's morally right to waste that power on something as trivial as Bitcoin mining. You know, uh, so I'm definitely encountering those attitudes out there uh, in, in the market as well. Uh, and yeah, I, don't, I don't know how we solve that at, at scale. Uh, I can certainly solve that by uh, providing information uh, to people that, that are coming at it from that angle. But uh, yeah, to do that at a, at a nationwide scale uh, is, is a far more challenging task than I first appreciated. Absolutely. And although initially when something like the Bitcoin Mining Council in America, North America started up, I was reluctant and thought, hmm, is this a slippery slope? Are we just playing mm. someone else's game here where we're uh, meeting their, their frame of reference, which is maybe not what we should be doing? I do think there's a lot of really useful information that's come out of the Bitcoin Mining Council and that has created a shift in at least a few significant organizations to understand that Bitcoin is producing something that's worthwhile of the energy that it uses. It doesn't use a drastic mm. amount of energy at the moment. It's got a good energy uh, mixture and these things could actually improve over time and in fact improve the rest of the grid and the rest of the energy mix over time as well. So I think something like that in Australia um, and of course, some of that information from the Bitcoin Mining Council kind of filtering down here as well is probably what's going to be one of the solutions to that problem at least. But yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. There is um, you kind of come across, you know, two types of people, um, at least in this sort of role. Although I am glad to hear like kind of where you, where you started, that was like a kind of like being bullish on Bitcoiners, I guess, uh, is, is seeing the mm. amount of people that are now like laser focused on this goal of not just like a financial revolution, but an energy revolution as well. Yes. And people that are incredibly motivated, um, but also technical experts in so many different areas that have decided I'm going to kind of let my fiat, you know, self die and, and do these other things, or I'll, you know, maybe mm. keep the two running in parallel for a while. So the fiat part of me can support the Bitcoin part of me. I, you know, yep. that that's something that I'm incredibly bullish on as well. And if you ever, I think, start to doubt something like Bitcoin, firstly, go back to the technicals because that should reassure you in and of itself. But just talk to some Bitcoiners and see the kind of things that they're working on and hear what they have in future. And just the level of motivation there is just, it's incredible. But it's not a, like a delusional optimism that drives that motivation. Mm. It's actually a, a deep grokking of, of the problems and, and the potential solutions as well. So yeah, that, that's always very reassuring and, and very, uh, you know, makes me bullish basically to, to think and talk about that as well. 
I, I think what Bitcoin offers in the energy market is a floor price for energy, no matter where it is and whatever kind it is, um, and therefore a financial incentive uh, to not simply flare or destroy that energy uh, or see it go to waste. Um, so, and, and at the same time, I think it also offers yeah, a potential ceiling price as well. Um, and I, I can certainly see in the future, um, in fact, in the not too distant future, uh, that all energy will have to be priced in Bitcoin. If you think of Bitcoin miners as being like a sink, you know, that, that ceiling mm. would have to come down gradually over time. And just it's so unfathomable, isn't it? Because I see different statistics and depending on the country that you look at, we waste anywhere from 30 to 60 percent of energy through things like storage and transportation. If even yep. a small fraction of that could just be fed back in to those energy producers so then they can efficiently reallocate those resources in a free market way. That is like the amount of technology advancements that we could have, the amount of prosperity you could bring to a lot of people that work in those industries and that set up new businesses around it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, yeah, it's unfathomable. Like, And it's not even like we need to do extra things. It's not like we need to produce more energy to get to that point. We just need to harness the energy that we're wasting in the first place. And in and of itself, that would have orders of magnitude better progress than where we are at the moment. And then we can start producing more energy or in different ways or whatever it might be. But yeah, just accessing the wasted energy is, um, I don't think we can really understand the, the level that that will bring us to next as a civilization. I, I think in Australia, more specifically and locally, we are facing two big shifts in the energy grid. One is uh, w w the government and, uh, and I think industry are sort of on a journey to electrify all vehicles. So if you look at Australia's total energy budget, yeah, a big chunk of the energy budget pie is... Uh, basically supplied by imported petrol, uh, maybe some a little bit of locally produced stuff as well. Um, but the majority of it is, is, is a liquid that we bring on a ship uh, and we burn in a car. Um, and if we're now going to make that energy source flip to electric, electrifying the fleet, um, then we probably need to build twice the power capacity on the grid because we can no longer supply it from liquid <laughs> that we yeah. import from other other countries um we have to supply it locally with energy that we produce here and we also have to electrify a whole bunch of parking spaces uh and the physical built environment uh and change how energy is distributed in, across our grids and town in towns and, and and cities um and even retrofitting into residential buildings and commercial buildings and industrial and and, and retail buildings in ways that we haven't budgeted for or understood yet. Um, yeah, the, the, where the different lines and substations and the capacities for each of those, they all have to be rethought uh, and expanded. I don't think anyone has completely understood how big a transition that part of the grid is. Secondly, you can go onto the AEMOS website right now and you can see the decommissioning dates for all of Australia's coal-fired power stations. Uh, which make up a huge percentage of the baseload power that's generated in this country. And virtually every coal-fired power station right now has a zero dollar value. In fact, most of them have a negative dollar value because of the obligations, if you bought one, that, that, that come with them for providing uh, uh, restitution back to the original environment that, 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 that the, um, the power station occupied. So uh, there's yeah, a big chunk of the grid is going away. Um, and that was the most reliable part uh, and the cheapest part. It's also probably the most polluting part uh, of the environment. 
but uh, we're now replacing it with something that is a lot less reliable and in some ways more expensive. Uh, in others, right now, it's actually quite expensive to operate a coal-fired power station because you can't run it during the day in many, in many cases because there's no one to take power. The, the grid, in fact, at some points in some places goes negative because so much domestic solar is being produced that you can't sell baseload power into that market. Uh, so uh, we are definitely going through an awful period of turbulence in, in the energy market, no matter yeah, who wins the next election. Um, there's forces at play that are bigger than uh, any of us. Um, and uh, they're colliding with uh, Bitcoin mining right now. <laughs> It almost, yeah, it doesn't matter which side of the uh, the political sphere people are on. I think it is sort of heading to that direction of let's just choose a date, 2040, and we'll get to net zero emissions. Mm. And it doesn't matter how much that's going to cost or the kind of turbulence it'll produce. And let's not worry about a strategy that's too strict at the moment. Let's just sort of like head that direction, which is, I mean, it's a sort of fiat absurdity that we're probably used to in the, the Bitcoin world at the moment. But still, it is something to contend with, isn't it? And so do we think That's that right. like Bitcoin fixes this or at least it uh, pushes us in the right direction? Uh, I, I can't say it fixes it, um, but I, I do say that uh, having a floor price, a floor price for energy, um, no matter where it's being produced and whether it's connected or disconnected from the grid, uh, it can only be a positive factor when it comes to promoting the growth of new energy assets. Um, so energy assets that are currently stranded or unbankable, um, potentially are now are bankable, not only because of grid prices going through the roof, um, but equally because in the journey that you take from idea and concept to being connected to the grid and making you know, uh, serious money on, on, on the wholesale market right now, uh, you know, having Bitcoin mining in that mix um, offers an on-ramp into that future that otherwise would not be there, a cash, cash flow on-ramp that, that, that would be difficult to get any other way. True. We're sort of talking about a bit of a threat to Bitcoin, um, even just a threat to civilization at the moment. Are there, having said that, are there other threats that you've considered with Bitcoin or is this one of the biggest ones, this sort of push towards a, a less reliable energy and maybe people's yeah. education about what Bitcoin is and whether it's worth spending the energy on, et cetera? Is this like one of the biggest threats to Bitcoin, do you reckon? I actually think the biggest threat uh, we face right now is uh, the potential for uh, the same debate we've had over net neutrality and you know, what society values different types of internet traffic um, uh, and, and, and whether different types of internet traffic should be treated with different rules and different tariffs. Uh, I see a similar debate actually well underway right now in Australia on uh, and, and in other countries as well over well, what, what is the morality and the legality of using power to do this proof of work uh, component? Um, and uh, yeah, we could end up regulating too early um, an industry of putting rules and provisos and boundaries around uh, what we're doing in such a way that uh, we actually, with, through good intentions, we actually kill an industry that otherwise we could be world leaders in at its earlier stage <laughs> yeah that's right established um and, and so something, uh, yes i was just going to say in something that will have such a, a benefit not just to australia but the entire world and not just because we become world leaders in it but because it has this this great outcome essentially for the environment for you know our efficiency with energy and then of course all the financial revolution that kind of follows so yeah there's um 
a lot of downsides to if that gets stifled early, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So, so certainly in my business, that's a that's a risk um, that that I, I see as the largest risk. Yeah, the government coming in or, or regulators coming in, even at all levels of government. I'm not just talking here federally. Um, uh, in some regional areas, I'm already seeing signs of uh, well, planning permission will only be granted you know, if you can demonstrate that you're going to be operating in these particular conditions. You know, with regards to how you use energy and what it, what what your sources of energy are, um, so yeah, it's um, it, it's something that could could really stop the train at the station. What is the solution? Is probably too strong a word, but what is the the strategy there? Like I I have this vague understanding that the Australian Bitcoin industry body does quite a you know a bit of lobbying and, and educational work on Bitcoin generally speaking, and I, I seem to think there was going to be a bit of an offshoot of that related to. To mining yeah. in Australia is that? Am I right in mm -hmm. that? Is that sort of going ahead? That's absolutely correct. Um, I'm not personally a part of that council, though. Though I think I had a hand in suggesting it be formed, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think um, uh, yeah, that work needs to be done, uh, and it needs to reach Canberra um, and uh, and educate our leaders that at the moment are probably making decisions and. and with regards to regulation uh, and planning uh, that are perhaps are not in full possession of the facts right now. That's good to hear. And my understanding so far, at least of the uh, the financial uh, regulations around Bitcoin is that this is about a three-year process. They're looking at consulting over the next year, starting to formulate some uh, regulations and legislations over 2024 and 2025 with the intention for you know whole frameworks to be put in place towards the end of that year. So that's that's quite a bit of time between now and then. I imagine and hope that something similar in parallel is working in terms of like the, the energy issue, uh, because that gives a, a good amount of time to have the debate um, and to lobby and to educate rather than them trying to just come to a quick decision in the next few months or something like that, which usually means a, a bad decision will be made and yes. allocate resources. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have any any final thoughts or any other yeah tangent topics that you wanted to discuss before we finish up? I, I think we've yeah, really covered the broad range of um, uh, different things I wanted to talk about today. Um, but I'd encourage anyone who hasn't yet given mining a go uh, to yeah, give it a go. Um, have a look at it. At least go and visit a Bitcoin mine and get to learn and understand how your Bitcoin is made. Um, because that is literally where it gets manufactured is at the mine site. So understanding yeah, getting, getting appreciation and understanding of, of, of mining, I think it's fundamental to understanding Bitcoin. And so the more contact you can have with mining, I think the, the better educated you'll be on, on exactly what it takes to make this sausage. Absolutely. And look, if anyone is keen to, uh, to either use Pierce's uh, facilities, uh, check out mineracks.com. Um, and I'm sure you're probably happy to take queries if people are looking into that and want a bit of uh, information sure. about mining. Yeah. And yep. the yep. the initiative that you mentioned that you were working towards sort of just beyond mine racks or, or even maybe like setting up, you know, a, a mine racks facility in, in different states, um, mm. flared gas kind of initiative. Uh, I yep. imagine they could probably reach you through the same, um, same avenues Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we're also helping a number of different parties who want to build their own private mining facilities um, of varying scales. Uh, we're, we're acting, I guess, as EPC consultants, um, who helping people engineer, develop, and build uh, and scale uh, their own mining operations. If, 
if that's not some if hosting is not for them with a third party um, and they want to have full cost custody of money, certainly something I appreciate. Then yeah, we're very happy to share our knowledge and 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 help uh, in a practical sense for those that that want to get get in and 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 grow big. Perhaps don't know where to get started, what the what the logistics, what the the mechanics and the uh, and what the technicalities are. You, know, you need a lot of disciplines across HVAC, um, electrical, engineering, and and computer uh, uh, technology. Uh, and for a lot of people, that they may have one of those things, but they probably don't have all three. Experience in all three. Uh, that's certainly something that we're we're partnering with with people to to help them down that journey. It's really good that that's going to be more and more accessible here in Australia. Because I, I know mm. so far when people have gone down that that uh, route. It's had to be kind of outsourced to people in America, um, whereas having someone and like a group that knows the Australian environment, and I mean that kind of more mm -hmm. broadly than just the you know the natural environment, I think it's going to be really right. important for those sort of decisions. So that's very cool. Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, thank you for your contribution to the Bitcoin network as well. I much appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of others do as well. And uh, yeah, again, if anyone is keen to get into mining in any of those sort of uh, ways, I think reach out to Pierce, mineracks.com. Thanks, Justin. No worries. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time.